Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. I believe that when we share our stories, we give each other a glimpse into what is possible. We show each other how we faced an obstacle, how we got around a roadblock and made it through some tough times or some really good times. The story behind her success is also the kind of show that tells you what it is like to be in a certain profession. Mm. And everyone seems to love the idea of going behind the scenes to talk to women in media. I've spent my entire career in media, but thankfully, I didn't have to be on camera as a radio broadcaster. <laughs> Although you should have been because you're such a beautiful woman. Well, thank you. I could go ahead and wear my pajamas to the station early in the morning if I had to, just as long as I sounded like I knew what I was talking because about. Because I'm sure you always knew what you were talking about. <laughs> in the spotlight, a woman who has spent her career in front of the camera, not just here in the United States, but as the host on ESPN and MTV Asia and on a reality show in Malaysia. She is of Chinese, Filipino, and Jewish descent and also holds a law degree from Duke. These days, you will find her on the NBC affiliate here in Boston called NBC10. You have just heard the sound of her voice, and now I'm happy to introduce Joy Lim Nacren. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. Did you like your introduction? My face is getting a little red from it, but thank you so much. You really pumped me up there. <laughs> so let's start out with Candio's <clears throat> lightning round so our listeners can get to know you really quickly. Okay. What time do you get up in the morning? Oh, about three, maybe four if I want to sleep in. <laughs> Workout or no time for that? Every morning, religiously. What kind of workout do you do? If I'm working, if it's Monday to Friday, then I do Jillian Michaels tapes, 25 minutes, and I have no excuses to say, you know, I have no time to work out. And on the weekends, I like to take a long run with my three rescue dogs. Duncan or Starbucks? Duncan. I don't believe in overspending on coffee. <laughs> Favorite food on the planet? Oh, my goodness. Probably chocolate, which is such a liability. <laughs> Pet peeve? Rude people. <laughs> Best movie you ever saw? Oh, gosh. Best movie ever. I have to choose one? I've got too long of a list. How about okay. we'll start there? Good dancer or you'd like to sit it out? I, I love to dance. Whether I'm good, that's debatable. Do you care? No, I don't care. I love it. So fun. Guilty pleasure? Probably watching all those movies I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> That gives us all a glimpse into you. So thank you so much. That's just our little way of getting to know you really quickly. Where are you from? And can you paint us a picture of what life was like in your house? I actually grew up in a small town in North Carolina, Rocky Mount, or very rural, as it kind of sounds. When I went off to college in 1998, my parents moved to Boston. And since my mother had immigrated from the Philippines, Many of her family members had followed her to rural North Carolina. When she moved to Boston, was like, okay, then let's go too. So now I have lots of extended family in Boston, and this has just kind of become home turf for 20 plus years. Well, it sounds to me then if your family came with your mom from the Philippines to North Carolina, and then they came here to Boston, family must be very important. Very much so. Absolutely. And we're still very, very close. What about the work ethic in your house when you were growing up? Long story short, if I got a B, I'd get punished. <laughs> so you were held to a high standard. Absolutely. Who were your role models growing up? One person who just is always an inspiration to me, who I look to to this day, is really the Dalai Lama. Not exactly a role model because I don't model my life. I'm not a monk. I have read a lot of the Dalai Lama and Buddhist work and even listened to Dalai Lama CDs sometimes and 
recordings, if I just feel like I need to recenter myself, get my head on straight. What is it about the Dalai Lama's message that resonates for you so much? As you mentioned, I have a multi-ethnic background. So I have some Buddhist, I have some Jewish, I have some Catholic in terms of religion in my family. What I like about the Dalai Lama is he emphasizes really respect for all religions. And the bottom line is just compassion for all living things. And also, I think he really emphasizes looking at yourself as part of the universe as a whole, especially in television news, which can sometimes encourage some self-centered behavior. I think it's really healthy to have advice from the Dalai Lama who encourages us to be other-centered. If I had met you as a young girl and said to you, hey, Joy, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have told me? I was crazy about animals. And I think in a way I was a natural storyteller, but I didn't know I was going to do this. The reason I say I was a natural storyteller is that I love to talk to people about animals and explain you know, all about their habits and how great they are. But also, as I mentioned, much of my family were immigrants from Asia and they struggled speaking English, living in rural North Carolina as a little kid. There weren't a lot of people like my family. And so I found that I was becoming the translator, the storyteller saying, well, what my grandmother really wants to say, what she really needs is this because this happened. And I did that from probably age, you know, six onward. So you were like a translator. Yeah. And and I still think kind of a storyteller. I didn't know in my child mind that that was what a journalist was. I didn't, it didn't, I didn't connect those dots. But ultimately, when I went to law school, knowing I had a strong sense of justice, I still was like, wow, there's this piece missing. Yes, lawyers do wonderful work, but there's something that's a little bit off about that for me. And I kind of found my path into becoming a journalist, a storyteller. So let's talk a little bit about your career path. Where did you go to school undergrad and what was your major? Undergraduate degree I did at Haverford College in Pennsylvania. And initially I was a pre-med and bio major. (laughs) So um, very different from writing and reading and actually being a philosophy major, which is what I ended up majoring in. I guess I was pursuing what I thought I should be pursuing and what I thought was going to be a safe path and one that would make my family proud and make everyone happy. It really wasn't me. First of all, in my few experiences with people drawing blood, I found that I would like pass out or get just so squeamish. And I was terrible really at math and I had really struggled with the sciences. And so what happened is I basically just took all these philosophy classes as electives. And I was like, gosh, I'm just a couple short of a major. Maybe I should major in this. And Of course, my parents were like, what are you going to do, be a professional philosopher? And it was like, oh, no, I'm going to go to law school. And that became your next chapter. Tell me about your career as a lawyer. How does getting a degree from Duke lead to television news? I was actually one of the youngest people to graduate from Duke Law in my class in 2005. I was 24 years old. I had what I call my quarter life crisis. Do I really, really want to be a lawyer and work at the corporate law firms where a lot of my classmates were working for the rest of my life? I basically took a year off. I got this opportunity to do a year of modeling in Asia, and I thought, well, this will be really fun. It will be an all-expenses-paid way for me to spend a year in Asia, and that's what I did. And during that time, ended up doing all these guest hosting gigs and thought, well, maybe I could combine this with the intellectual background I have and become um, a newscaster of some sort and got my first real news job at ESPN Asia. Wow, this is a fascinating story. So let's go back to ESPN Asia. And the first time you ever saw yourself on television, what did you think? Were you critical 
Or did you like what you saw? Oh, my gosh. I was horrified. I was horrified. And I think my boss was, too. You also worked for MTV Asia. Talk about that experience. So, and that was more of a, a kind of freelance thing. And, and the, the guest hosting at MTV Asia and on that reality show you mentioned, those were the things that they were much lighter. And I was just kind of having a fun experience, a new experience of getting in front of a camera. And that's really what put the idea in my head. Maybe I'll apply for ESPN Asia and all these others and see which one hires me to actually put it all together, put the camera stuff together, put my experiences and education that I learned in law school together. And yeah, that's that's what led me down. You're pretty fearless, aren't you? Oh, gosh. It's not true at all. I think when you're young and stupid, you do silly things. Let's talk about your first news job. Where was it? I'm not sure if you consider the sports casting hard news, but at some point, I made the transition from ESPN Asia to Fox Connecticut. So that was my first real local news job. As much as I had an amazing time in Asia and I was there for three years during that stint, I found out that my grandfather had cancer and I was so close to him. He was living here in the Boston area with my parents and I wanted, of course, to come and help take care of him. At the same time, I knew at some point I did want to progress and get into more hard news. So I applied, of course, for news jobs in Boston, but it's not that easy to get them. So um, I, I landed at Fox, Connecticut, and that's kind of where I, I really dipped my toe into local news back in 2008, 11 years ago. Moving through markets and climbing from a large market to a major market is really part of the deal, and it's a big deal, as a matter of fact. I call it earning your stripes. What did you learn in Connecticut that you brought with you to Boston? That was kind of boot camp. I worked overnights. I would come in maybe 10 p.m. to midnight, depending where I was during my two and a half years there in terms of how quickly I could produce. Because the thing, the gig was, okay, we'll let you anchor a newscast, but you have to work overnight to produce the morning newscast. And then you can anchor it. And then you can do some in-studio reports afterwards. I learned to produce, anchor, report. I kind of learned everything and I got paid peanuts for it. But that was how I cut my teeth. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. You are so involved with the Asian community here in Boston. Can you talk a little bit about your volunteer work? I'm so honored to be able to be an advisory committee member for Boston Chinatown Neighborhood Center, which is basically the the largest nonprofit serving Asian Americans in the greater Boston area, some 8,000 families a year. I'm just involved in a lot of their fundraisers and so forth and, and make regular visits to the center. And they do wonderful work in terms of helping newer immigrants especially resettle job training, language classes, even advocacy, and kind of providing a a home-type space. I'm also very involved with some local Filipino organizations. And I think what just clicked for me was having that support system that I mentioned that my family didn't have in rural North Carolina. It's fun work. And I love the other thing I'm really crazy about. I told you animals, so stuff with the MSPCA. I I was just about to ask you about that. What is it about these rescue animals that you just love so much because your whole face lights up? They're so genuine and they're so innocent. They just love without really asking anything in return except for um, love and food. And please don't hurt me anymore or abandon me, right? Absolutely. You're so right about that. What are you thinking when the on-air light goes on and it's just you and the audience is there but you can't see them? How do you reach out and connect? When that red light goes on, you know, the audience is watching you. I have to say, sometimes when I have that thought in my head, the audience is watching me, that is what will mess me up. When you're thinking, okay, I'm talking to thousands of people, I think you lose that sense of intimacy. 
What I really do inherently is I just kind of, I do think like, oh, I'm talking to my friend. And I really just try to draw out what's important to me about the story and what emotionally connects with me about the story. You know, whether it's heartbreaking, you know, maybe it could be a heartbreaking murder. Maybe it's something that's really inspiring that someone is dealing perhaps with a disability and, and they've just overcome it to accomplish this amazing goal of theirs. But I find that it is trying to maintain that sense of intimacy and authenticity. Like we're just having a conversation. I'm just telling you from my heart what I see in this story and what I know absolutely from a factual standpoint, but really what what's important. Big stories. There's such a huge responsibility for an anchor or a reporter to report effectively, honestly, authentically with the facts. How do you see yourself in those situations, particularly if you have to give bad news Mm. in a newscast? It's so difficult. Of course, it's about the facts, right? It's about the facts. And I can't editorialize. I can't tell you how to feel. But at the same time, the facts only matter because we care about humans. And at least we should care about humans. I know I do. I know I care about the people that I'm telling stories about. And I care about the people who are hearing the stories. I guess I just try my best to, yeah, keep to the facts, but provide you that context that I know is important. Like if perhaps a victim was a mom and she left behind young children, you know, I think that would be important. If she was a week away from her birthday, you know, I think those things are important facts and those are things that stick out to me and I bring forward to the viewers too. Remaining impartial as a journalist in 2019, story choices, reporting the facts, letting people make their own choices. I shouldn't know a reporter's politics, should I? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's something we have to challenge ourselves to do, especially today. I think that political discourse can be very heated. And I really constantly, whether I'm in the newsroom or at home or just listening to uh, people talking at a coffee shop, I try my best to think, what is the counter argument to what they're saying? And just try to keep myself balanced. What about your love of law? You are still a practicing member of the bar. How do you balance this law thing with this great big major market news career here in Boston? So I want to preface it by saying that I, of course, because I don't actually go to court, I don't represent defendants, I don't prosecute, I don't consider myself to be as knowledgeable as a criminal defense attorney or a white-collar defense attorney or a corporate lawyer who practices that every day or a prosecutor. But I think what it does is it just gives me a foundation to ask them better questions. I guess that's what I try to do. I see stories that have a legal edge. So much of what we do, especially here in Boston, we have major cases such as the college admissions cheating scandal, such as the Robert Kraft case. I just try to keep that training in the back of my mind 
and ask more pointed questions, whether it's about the civil procedure, jurisdiction, or the process of gathering evidence, that sort of thing. It's nice to be able to put that through a lens of, hey, I went to law school and learned this for a few years, right? (laughs) Versus someone else who has absolutely no idea of what they're talking about, right? You had mentioned when we first sat down together that you talk to your mom every day. Yeah, I do. I'm going to guess that she's a really important person in your life. She's a very important person, absolutely. And I love my dad dearly, but I think the mother-daughter relationship, it's a, it's a little different, right? And she's, she, you know, she's like my best friend. What have you learned from watching your mom throughout your life? I've watched my mother. She works so hard. So th- there are things I've learned to do and not to do because one thing is I notice that my mother maybe doesn't take care of herself enough, but I'm inspired by how industrious she is. So I try to emulate some of those things. But I'll say even more than by watching her, by listening to her, because my mother is always the type, don't do as I do, do as I say. And she gives me real-time feedback during the shows. So I could be live on air and she might text me and say, you're talking too fast. People won't understand what you're saying. <laughs> you know, my, my dad's been gone for quite a few years, but he used to listen to me on the air all the time. And he would just send me little emails that, you know, would say, Sounding great, my dove. You know, and I would live for those little emails. So precious. Couple of questions that we ask everyone who sits where you are today. The first is when an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I think I'm still working on the answer to that, but I think my immediate response is I try to think really carefully about, you know, what's at stake? What can I do better? Can I improve myself to overcome this obstacle? Maybe there's a different solution I hadn't thought of, but really just trying to look within myself for answers. Absolutely, I do have mentors and people who I ask for advice, and I think sometimes it's very helpful to have different perspectives, but at the same time, I have to use my own head and heart to make decisions that are best for me, you know? What do you wish you knew when you first got started in this business? I wish I knew that I should listen more, perhaps learn more. I was so clueless when I started, but that's kind of part of the process is learning every day. So what else can you, what can you expect, you know? What's your greatest strength? I think probably the ability to take criticism. I think it's a big part of life, but I think it's especially true in television news. You know, you could get feedback on anything from what you wear, how you do your hair, to how you're laughing, or, uh, and of course, on substantive matters, such as maybe word choice and facts that you chose to highlight, because you are really out there. Being able to take criticism is a key part of not just success, but happiness in this job from an early age, just because of the kind of upbringing I had with my mother, perhaps it's cultural. I didn't look at criticism as meant to be hurtful. I thought it was meant to help me become better. And so I think it's allowed me to keep improving myself in my career, but also just not to be hurt when, you know, a boss or supervisor or even a viewer offers some criticism, you know, hey, I didn't like when you did this. I didn't like when you wore this. I didn't like when you said that. Okay, let me think about that. Let me think about, is this valid? Because I'm I'm not going to just be a, a shape changer and be what everyone wants me to be, but sometimes people have valid feedback. What is your greatest weakness? And how do you try to either control it or improve upon it? Maybe sometimes taking to heart criticism that may not be valid. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten from anybody? And can you pass it along to our listeners? As 
cliche as it sounds, is really just follow your heart and your dreams and stay in touch with how you're feeling about what it is that you're supposed to be doing in your life. And know that can change and that's okay. A couple of fun questions to ask you that I try to ask whenever I have a broadcaster here with me. Your best interview. My most powerful interview definitely was actually with a human trafficking survivor. And that is something that will always stay with me. It was so haunting just to hear about her experience, but also so inspiring because several years out of the life, as they call it, she's accomplished so much. She's in law school now, and she's going to fight for the rights of women who are exploited the way that she was. She touched me and she really haunted me and shook me to my core. You know, I remember after interviewing her, I didn't feel like myself for probably two weeks. I could really see myself in her shoes and experiencing what horrible torment she had to experience. And I felt so strongly for her. And at the same time, I just felt, my goodness, I can't believe that she's able to overcome all that and go on to become such a successful woman and still commit herself to giving back to others. And and I thought, my gosh, if she can overcome all of that and go on with such strength to give back, I feel that I have the power to do so much more to help the world as well. What does success mean to you? I really think that it is about making a positive impact on others, trying to help others. I'm so grateful for the opportunities I've had in my life and for my job. I don't think it would be meaningful if I didn't use my privileges and my position to help others in some way, whether that means being involved with charitable organizations or shining the light on people, such as the woman I just mentioned, and sharing their stories. I want to say thank you for sharing your story today on the story behind her success. What a great interview. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about her. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?